so I feel really called to this work, particularly for performers, to help them remember that I am enough. The fullness that I bring to this, the truth that I'm living, is so enough. And I don't have to push. I don't have to be anything I'm not. Welcome to For a Living. I'm your host, Lauren Perry Carrera. On today's episode... I speak with Jillian Page. Jillian is a musical theater performer who teaches acting and singing. She also used to be a personal trainer, which is how I first encountered her and had the pleasure of working with her as her client. My name is Jillian Page, and I am formerly a personal trainer, but I have my master's and undergrad in music. So I teach an acting through song class called Meisner in Music, and I'm a singer and musical theater performer. So yeah, I'm so excited to have you on. I wanted to just like give people a bit of a background, kind of start from the beginning of like you went to school, you got a master's in music. And then so like, where did you go from there? Kind of how did you think about your path? Did you ever think about were you always kind of like you knew you were going to go on this path or just kind of walk us through that? Yeah, I my parents are both uh, orchestral musicians, so they met in music school. My mom was my dad's accompanist. She played piano for his recitals and lessons, and he's a flute player. So I was around music growing up, and that was kind of a trajectory that made sense to me, having parents that were already in the field. But then when I got to undergrad, I, as many of us do, gained the freshman 15 and I was obsessed with like the buffet style eating. So I started getting into fitness after a a childhood really of never doing sports, never being into working out at all. But I started taking group fitness classes and then got into Pilates and weight training myself and I loved it there are a lot of parallels between weight training and um, training as a musician, just like going to rehearsals, heading into the practice rooms and seeing results as, um, you know, as you progress. So I really enjoyed that aspect of weight training itself. And I fell in love. And as a performer, there are a lot of ways to do it, but a lot of us need a day job and supplemental income. And people do that a variety of ways. But as I fell in love with fitness and weight training, I started to think this could be something that I could do to cushion when I'm not performing. So I got my master's. And then that summer after I graduated with my master's in musical theater, I uh, tested for the National Academy of Sports Medicine personal training certification. And uh, I got it. And then I became a personal trainer. I was living in Texas at the time, so I was really far from any friends and family. So I was like, I guess I'll be an online trainer. And I was Googling like how to become an online personal trainer. And truly, it was 2014. There was nothing at the time, nothing. But I think I was one of the first people to really do um, online training. And then I got to New York and like we met, we did individual sessions. So I was a personal trainer in New York for four or five years. And then last year, it just started feeling like I'm not in the zone of what I need to be doing. And Meisner and Music, this class I created, really was picking up. So I made the goal to fully be an artist by this October and uh, started transitioning out of fitness and into more of my passion. That is so cool. That's I love that. I think that's like kind of what I love to showcase on the podcast is people, you know, thinking about how, what are my passions? What are my dreams, my goals? And like, kind of how do I get there? Because sometimes it's not necessarily realistic to, you know, get out of school and just be like, okay, I'm going to do the music thing. Like, 
it's totally reasonable that you're like, okay, I, I need supplementary income. Yeah. Um, and then you eventually kind of got to where you really wanted to be. But tell us a little bit more about being, so being a personal trainer, like, is that something that you feel like, well, there's a lot of people out there, especially that are like, I love fitness. I love, you know, kind of the social media fitness world. There's a lot of that. Yeah. Um, is it an accessible, I want to say like side hustle or thing to like, you know, earn supplemental income or is it really hard? You have to study for this like exam, like you mentioned. Yeah, it's a really oversaturated market as many of our markets are. So I don't want to say that to discourage people, but I will say that I have a lot of friends in fitness who are struggling to get clients. And I think a lot of people now are in the fitspo in the Instagram world and are trying to do both online training and in person. And I just hit a sweet spot that I do think is still there. There are obviously a lot of, there's a lot of need for personal trainers, but it is also hard to like find the right people. And I would highly recommend if anyone's looking into it, um, if you live in a big city, going to buildings and asking if they have a personal trainer that they refer. And then if they don't, you can give them all of your certifications and insurance and be the personal trainer that if someone goes to the concierge of that building and is like, do you all have a personal trainer that's certified by the building? They say, yeah, it's Jillian. And then you get to kind of hone in your clients on that more. Um, but it's hard to get started. Once you do, though, the ball is rolling and people refer you, but it's hard to get started. Right. I would, yeah, I would imagine it's such a, like a word of mouth kind of, yeah. kind of job. I think I, I remember, I think I found you just by Googling personal trainers in New York City and I found just like a bunch of them and I was like, okay, this one seems interesting. Um, totally. But I'm sure it's hard to stand out. How did you think about like your personal brand and like who you are as a person and how that contributed to like, being able to market yourself really well as a personal trainer. I think I was just thinking about this the other day. I'm really not the best personal trainer. I'm I'm good at what I do or what I, I did. Thank <laughs> you. I mean that in the scientific sense. Like I didn't always quite know the terminology of what I was talking about or the why and the science behind what I was talking about. But I did know how I went from someone who wasn't into working out or sports to someone that fell in love with it and could maintain it for years on a regular basis and how to help people with that. Because a lot of times we start personal training clients because we don't like it. We don't like doing it ourselves and we need someone to help us with that. So I really think that when you're creating your own brand in any facet to find what makes this is so cliche what I'm about to say, but find what makes you unique. So for me, it was the fact that I wasn't athletic, but also that I, um, it's such a personal, obviously, business that I can be a friend and that I can be someone that you want to hopefully meet with and have a conversation with. I know a lot of trainers who are not very personable and you have to be. And that was a strength that I have. The knowledge, I probably cared more about music than I cared about studying about more personal training, but I had the basis of the knowledge and then I think I was enjoyable to be around. So that was kind of my niche. <laughs> I got clients. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's so accurate. I mean, having, having been one of your clients, I think that was <laughs> what I really enjoyed about our work together, obviously the training, but it felt personal. It felt, I also think, you know, especially like personal training can be, it can be, it can be very personal. Um, you know, yeah. there's almost a level of like therapy to it. Um, oh. you know, especially for some people, it's very, you know, it's their bodies, it's their mind, it's that connection. Um, and so I always felt like your approach was very in tune with that. You know, it wasn't just like, let's get big and bulky and strong. It was like, what are your goals? And like, how are you feeling yeah. about your body right now? Um, and yeah, one of the things I always appreciated that we we did together, I remember it was like you had sort of like your body goal and your soul goal. 
right? Or I think you had different Exactly, exactly. Body rock goal and soul goal. Yeah. And I thought that was awesome because I do think so many personal trainers just focus on the body and they don't think about the connection sort of with the mind, you know? Oh, yeah. It's all tied in. And that's the idea of like any holistic health thing that we're a living, breathing being and we can definitely treat the body. But a lot of the symptoms and things that we're trying to heal and work on come from the inside out. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to kind of talk about, you know, sort of the the body positivity movement and all of that. Um, And I know that like you've sort of had your own personal kind of evolution with your relationship with your body, especially during quarantine. Like, Would you feel comfortable sharing a little bit about that? Definitely. I, one of the things that made me sort of want to get out of fitness was the extreme emphasis on women, especially being smaller and not getting bulky and toning and losing fat rather than embracing the strengths that we have and the bodies that we were given. So I have, uh, I still have eight online clients and they are not all small. I have some of the strongest people I've ever worked with in my life and they would identify as fat, but they are working their butts off. They are consistent and they are healthy. So I love the body positivity movement. I'm a naturally thin person, so I'm not a part of the movement and can't claim to know exactly what that is like. But I love that it's teaching us fat doesn't mean unhealthy and this certain body type of like fit, tone, small isn't necessarily what we should all be striving towards. To eat whole foods and to be good to ourselves, mind, body, and spirit is really important. But I, yeah, I just think I got really grossed out with... You know, I had a lot of clients, you weren't one of them, but I had a lot of clients that would come to me and be like, my main goal is to lose inches. And I had to simply just be like, so that's not what I do. And they would say they still wanted to train with me, but then it would end up being an issue when they weren't losing inches. And it, it goes back to the soul goal idea as well, because they also, a lot of times weren't willing to be good to themselves as human beings. So sometimes The goals that we have, whether it's to be small or strong or healthy, those will be achieved when we are first good to ourselves as human beings. So that was something that I felt was getting lost in the fitness industry. I think it's becoming more of a forefront issue, but I was really over it. And so that was why last October I was like, I can't fake my way through this anymore. Um... And yeah, in the quarantine, I gained fit. I mean, who cares about weight, but I gained like 15, 20 pounds and I love my body and I still look at my body and I'm like, oh, so great. Sometimes I look at her and I'm like, oh, darn, I wish these rolls weren't there. That cellulite wasn't there. But for the most part, I feel incredibly sexy and empowered, but I'm arguably if we were going with the old way, I'm less healthy. I'm, I had a freaking uncle over the summer tell me I needed to lift less weights cause I'm getting bulky. And I wanted to be like, you're an idiot. I'm just, I gained some fat over this muscle. I'm still incredibly healthy and well balanced. So yeah, that's kind of where I am with the health stuff. And it's so freeing to almost not be in this incredibly like cut svelte body that was almost a, a trap of, ego and uh, maintenance. Yeah, I think that that's really interesting. Something you're touching on is kind of like the relationship between like fitness and ego. I think that's something that I'm really trying to work on right now myself because it's kind of like you can get really caught up in achieving this certain body type and and it's that's very external. And so it's like trying growing up in this sort of fitness diet culture, you're kind of taught that it's all about how you look. And so it's like trying to reframe 
fitness from a perspective of how does it make me feel? I feel like is sort of like where hopefully this whole fitness world is moving towards. Um, But there's definitely a lot of work, you know, I feel like it's funny because I feel like there's a lot of, there's like, you know, the body, body positivity movement and people generally these days seem to understand that like diets are not good. Like we're moving away from that. But then it's like you still go on, you know, TikTok and stuff and you see the 75 hard challenge. And like, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's like these, it's, you know, 75 days where you, you work out every single day, twice a day, 45 minutes. And it's, ah. and it's at the same time, it's supposed to be a, like holistic thing. So it's, and then you also like, you read, I don't know, it's 10 pages of a book or something. And there's, so there's, there's sort of the soul goals sure. at the same time. But the idea is you end this 75 days and you're this like really motivated person. And that's great. But also like working out twice a day, every single day is not generally good for the average body. You know, normally that's a lot of exercise. So it's just interesting, like seeing, I feel like on the one hand, we are figuring out the ways to move away from, you know, diet culture, but we're also still kind of stuck a little bit in this place of the system of like trying to strain our bodies in these very immense ways to achieve some sort of external validation. Right. Right. The validation is key. And it makes me think of approaching exercise. It's a difference between approaching exercise from a sense of I suck versus I'm amazing. And so if I go into my workout and I'm like, I'm amazing. What do I want to do today? It might be yoga or it might be a walk while I talk to a dear friend on the phone. Um, But if I go into my workout, I suck, then of course I'm going to push myself and do a 75 day challenge or whatever. And your body listens to that and responds to that. Our our systems are so wired and linked that there's no way you're going to end that 75-day challenge, in my opinion, and feel like, yeah, hell yeah, let me keep this up for the rest of my life. And that's the goal, at least in my world, is how can I honor my future self, um, who I am now, and do the work that's going to help me prevent injury and become strong and healthy, not work myself to the bone so I can be small like a high schooler. I'm not that body anymore. Right, right. I think that's that's so that's so accurate. Like trying to figure out too where your sort of resting body state is, you know, because everyone's just comes in different shapes and sizes. And so like you were saying yeah. earlier, you can have clients who are quote unquote overweight, but very healthy, right. you know, very much right. strong and muscular. But um yeah, I wanted to just ask, is there any advice you have for listeners of practices of how to be kind to yourself? I feel like, you know, you're always sharing really good tips and tricks on your Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. So what's your what's your go-to way when you're feeling a little disconnected from, you know, the pride that you feel about your body? Like, how do you reconnect with that? I think we all experience this. It'll be a while now when this comes out. But a couple of days ago, as we record this, when the Facebook and Instagram apps were down and we had a day of quiet and we just didn't post, we just didn't check in on anything. And so for me, finding peace and quiet is where I find a reconnection to myself and some happiness. And that doesn't mean that you can't do social media during the day or whatever, but finding moments like on the train, maybe instead of listening to a podcast or reading, just being and seeing what's in the air around you, or maybe in the evening before you go to bed, journaling something, three things that you're appreciative of yourself for that day. Those moments of quiet where we don't always have to be on and listening and checking. I think it's so hard to do that because like our phones are glued glued to us. Yeah. And like people's response the other day when social media was down, it was funny because it's like, yeah, 
what do I do? Um, I have so much time. <laughs> yeah. And like, where, where am I going to find ways to distract myself from actually sitting with what's going on in my own brain and what I'm personally processing? Um, so I wanted to kind of switch gears back into, into your shift towards music. So you're doing a lot of the personal training work. Like you said, you kind of started to feel like it just wasn't like where you should be spending your time. Was that like a, did you start to feel that across a long period of time? And or did, was it like one day you were just like, this is wrong. I should be spending more time on my music. Yeah, it was definitely over a long period of time over the, the, well, yeah. So I guess the pandemic was really the start. Right before the pandemic, I had raised my prices exponentially and everyone said yes. There was not one person that was like, no, I don't agree to this. So I was like, dang, because I kind of thought that raising my prices would help me transition out of personal training. But it actually, like, I think made it seem more valuable. I can't even tell you how weird it was. Um, and I, I recommend that for business owners. Not that I, I do think you need to start small and charge what the product is. But it was pretty magical, the shift that happened when I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to charge this and see what people say. And everyone was like, yes. And they started referring more people. So that was very bizarre. Then the pandemic hit and all of a sudden everyone wanted a personal trainer, especially an online one. So there was a big boom from March to the fall when I made the decision I needed to step away. So I was just working a lot more than I ever had. And I realized how unhappy I was. I, I do love it. I don't like the misconceptions around it and, and the goals that often come with it. So yeah, I would say from the beginning of the pandemic to about August, September of 2020, I was just feeling like, yeah, this is not feeling like a fit. I know you got into it as a little bit of like a, a financial means. Was it something that you kind of yeah. also felt like, okay, I'm, I'm a little more financially stable here and I can really more pursue my passion now? Actually, no. And I just felt like <laughs> I just had this intuition that if I were to do it, it would, something would happen and something would manifest out of it. So it did. I mean, I, I was making enough to kind of say, I'm going to gradually step out of um, online training. And I had just begun a monthly membership for the Meisner in music class that I teach. So, you know, humans are resourceful. I would have made something work if I had to, but I just had this gut feeling that it's going to be okay. And if I follow this intuition, things are going to work out. Yeah. I mean, I feel like so many, so much of the time we feel like we have to have everything in order before we can right. pursue this dream that we've always had. And sometimes it, it, you just have to kind of, all right, fuck it. Let's go. Let's see where this right. thing goes. And at least start. And I, you know, I don't mean to say like quit your job and have no, nothing to back you up, but I did have savings should everyone want to quit. And I knew the transition was going to be slow, but I think start. And don't wait, like you said, for things to be completely worked out to start your passion. See if there are little things that you can do throughout so that, like I said, with my journey, it can be a passing. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm suddenly making more on my passion project than I am on my day job. And then you can let go of the day job or just quit completely. But I, I recommend <laughs> starting and making that decision. And I said, by next October, I want to be a full time musician. And yeah. And here you are. Now you've done it. So way to, way to manifest that. Thank like, you. That's pretty sweet. Um, so tell us more about Meisner music. Like what is the program? Meisner is an acting technique where he says that acting is living truthfully under imaginary circumstances. So 
There is so much out there about acting and singing that is incredibly technical. And my favorite thing about the Meisner technique is how simple it is. And one of my favorite Meisner teachers, Valley Forrester, says that Meisner is a way of life disguised as an acting technique. And I couldn't agree more because the presence and stillness and simplification that has come into my life, both on stage and off, is unparalleled since I got into the Meisner technique. I also got into it in a really like the darkest period of my life. And so it helped me to heal and to really touch base with emotions that otherwise would have felt too scary because it's just simple and it's just being with yourself. And like Meisner says, just living truthfully. Here we are. Here's what's happening in this moment. It has transformed my entire life. So as a singer and a really technically classically trained singer, when I would go back into singing, oh, I loved the Meisner work when I was speaking words, but when I would sing, I would be like right back into my singer mode, technical head. So I thought there has to be a way that we can combine the two. And I Googled once I got to New York, I, sh I thought surely someone had already done it and they hadn't to my knowledge. So I created Meisner and Music as a workshop with some friends in like a sweaty studio um, in Midtown and it grew from there and it's four years old now. So it's just an absolute joy, like I said, to see what it does in students' lives in the classroom and on stage, but also in their lives. And what, so what type of students do you have? What's your main clientele? Oh, yeah. They're mostly professionals. They're mostly like, um, you know, most of them have degrees in music or theater, and they're working professionals in New York, which is such a joy. Oh, my gosh. God bless people who work with children, but it, it's not my forte right now. Who knows for the future, but I'm so fortunate to work with like Broadway professionals and people who are doing actively pursuing this because it feels really meaningful and not just like a hobby. Although we do have like a lawyer and an engineer in class. So I love that too, but it feels like let's really dig into this and see what we could make of it. And even if it is a hobby, there's a spiritual element to, that is so special when you're teaching an adult who's who's opting for it with their own funds rather than a student whose parent is making them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's always a lot more inspired. Yeah. Um, is there any part of the technique? I'm just, can you give us an example of like how it works? Or I'm just trying to picture like what the Meisner technique is. Oh my is. gosh, yes. Do you want to do oh, a little yeah. exercise? Yeah, okay. Take me through. I would love so it. So yeah. the main um, exercise in Meisner is called the repetition game. And we just repeat the same phrase back and forth. So this is going to be strange, but I want you to pick something off of me that has your opinion tied to it. Like you, uh, some, like something I could say about you is your eyes are so bright. So instead of saying I have two, you have two eyes, I would say something that I feel about what I'm seeing in front of me. Okay. And does it have to be like a visual thing or is it? Oh, it could be energy. It could be anything. Okay. You could be, be out that the two hats behind me, whatever. Um, and then I'm going to repeat it from my point of view. I'm going to say I have two hats behind me. And then you're going to say you have two hats behind you. And I'm going to say I have two hats behind me. And that's it. And we're just going to sit in that. And I'll explain why after. Whoa. Okay, cool. I love it. Okay. All right. This is interesting. This is so picking um, something okay. off of me that has your opinion tied to it. Your skin is glowing. My skin is glowing. Your skin is glowing. My skin is glowing. Your skin is glowing. My skin is glowing. Your skin is glowing. Yeah, my skin is glowing. Your skin is glowing. My skin is glowing. Your skin is glowing. My skin is glowing. Your skin is glowing. Awesome, Lauren. So what <laughs> happened for you in that, if anything? What did you feel? And it can be good, not good things too. What did you feel? 
definitely felt a little awkward. I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> but I was curious. I was like, oh, I want to see where this is going. Um, I also felt like I wanted to like change the intonation. I was like, should I say it differently every time or should I sound similar? So I guess I was thinking about like my tone of voice. Yeah. And where was all your focus? Um, my focus was mostly on your skin. <laughs> like I was like, yeah. oh, her skin is glowing. That's um, right. That's yeah. right. So the idea of the exercise is just that you're just in this moment, that you get really comfortable with that awkwardness that you you cited, that we lean into the discomfort of just, we don't get to do manners. We don't get to like have social niceties. We don't get to make conversation. We're just here with this one phrase and it also eliminates the thinking. So we don't have to think about the next thing to say. We just awkwardly or discomfortably have to be uncomfortably have to be here with this person and like you said put all of your focus on them and just the words so it's like a ping pong game and eventually it does change we can change if the moment changes so I can say you're nodding and you'd say yeah I'm nodding you're nodding you're nodding unless something else changes so it gets you it's almost like tapping if you've ever done that in um, therapy or doing something repetitive it gets us in this like, okay, here's where we are and I don't have anywhere else to be or anything else to be doing. So our focus is on each other and we eliminate all of the intellectualism and just get to feel and be. Wow. That was cool. That's, I, yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you for, for walking me through that. You're um, welcome. That's really interesting. I think, what is it that you think, like, what do you think it is about the discomfort aspect of it that yeah. creates sort of... Um, like emotional awareness. Right. Because we don't have to fumble through like, what do I say next? I have to carry on this conversation. I hope that Lauren doesn't think I'm looking awkward or that I'm doing anything weird. We're just here with each other. And there, it still allows for those thoughts to come through, but we get to just eliminate the need for chit chat or things that are external. And we just get to simplify the moment. And um, I forgot the original question. <laughs> no, I think that, that mostly answers it. It's just like the, okay. the aspect of the discomfort. And like, I, th I think it's so interesting that I feel like there's an element of feeling a little bit uncomfortable and like leaning into that. That's it. That's it. It has helped me so much with confrontation with anyone that I've met who makes me uncomfortable. Like even this, I was a little bit nervous when we started, but the Meisner technique helps you to just like, just focus on Lauren. Like, what am I getting from her? I'm just here. And what am I feeling? And not what am I feeling and thinking? What is my body just feeling right now? Oh yeah. I just need to shift around in my chair a little bit. And that's the truth of the moment. But it really helps with uncomfortable situations to find presence and I don't want to say softness because being at ease is not necessarily the goal, but presence and gentleness with yourself that you just get to be. It's so interesting. So I feel like there's a lot of parallels between that and your work as a trainer, because I think a lot of your work as a trainer was kind of similar in that get out of the external, out of the thinking too much, but just focus on yourself, focus on your body, focus on what is and not, you know, thinking too much outside of that. Um, so it's interesting that you're sort of connected to that theme in oh, both of yeah. your works. It's all connected, right? Just like how we are as humans when we work out, when we do our passions, when we're working, it's all connected. And yeah, it's like we talk a lot in Meisner and Music about the ego versus the self. And so it's just bringing it back to self. And this is all meaningless, but it's all extremely meaningful at the same time. So yeah. Interesting. So then how does that translate to, you know, the work specifically with 
working on, you know, acting and people's vocal approach, like how do you take that and then translate it into specifically the tangible of, of the musical work? The idea is that singing, we should have already practiced the technical stuff. So often when we go into an unknown situation, our brains go into that fight or flight mode, which you know about. And the first thing they're going to try to do is control. And singing is one of those things like working out or like an Olympic sport where we have to practice it diligently, but then in the moment of performance, we have to let all of that go. And we cannot be thinking about the functions of what's happening or we're going to slow ourselves down. Um, so yes, the idea of Meisner in music is that we just find a way to just be with ourselves and take in what's going on around us um, rather than thinking about the mechanics of singing and tripping ourselves up. Singing is almost always going to feel different in front of people than alone. So we have to embrace those changes that inevitably happen when we go from our bedrooms to in front of others when we sing. And Meisner just helps us to find that presence, live in the discomfort. And even if it's something like I'm repeating, yeah, my voice feels tight, my voice feels tight. The more I believe that we can sit with that and let my voice be tight, our body goes into the function of homeostasis just being like, oh, yeah, I'm tight. And the the acceptance is the way through, not the trying to control and make it different. Wow, I really do feel like you're, I mean, I don't want to like assume, but I do feel like you're a gift or like your, your purpose in this world really feels like it's helping people connect with their inner self and like getting people out of their head. Like it just feels like there's that's such a theme between your work. And it's so cool to see that you're doing that with your musical work. Thank um, you. Yeah. I mean, so do you ever, I feel like your role feels very much like an advisor, a mentor, a coach, a teacher. Do you ever feel like you do want to be the one like on the stage? You do want to actually do more of that yourself? Definitely. Yeah. I love performing. I just got an offer a couple days ago to direct something and I turned it oh. down because it's not in line with what I want to be doing. So yeah, a, a, what do they call it? A teaching artist, a performing art. No, what am I saying? teaching artists, I think is the word I'm looking for. But the idea is that, yeah, I perform and audition as well as teach. So I have another teacher on staff. We're hiring another person this spring. So I also am 32 years old. So I eventually want to have kids and have Meisner and Music kind of rolling on its own and not being dependent on me being there. So if one of my teachers or I get a job, we can go perform and we have substitute teachers. And uh, yeah, I love performing and it's been a joy to watch Meisner music grow so that I have the means to pour into that more. And so does that mean you're sort of actively auditioning or what does that look like really in, in your space? How do you get a, how do you get a gig or, you know, a role? Well, it's a slow fall. I am actively auditioning, but it, you know, the pandemic taught us that we can self tape and we were doing that before, but the arts world is really leaning into that rather than these God awful things called open calls where it was like a cattle call and you would go down to Midtown and wrap around the building in the freezing cold and you'd get sick and you wouldn't even get seen for an audition. It was just a mess. So <laughs> we've been a lot of actors and I have been submitting this fall, but even though the arts are back, I say that with quotation marks for those listening, uh, they're not completely back. So it's a little slow going, a little um, disheartening, but we're getting there. Yeah, no, it definitely seems like it. I guess with Broadway opening up, there's sort of like a re rejuvenation around that. Um, but there's definitely a lot of a lot more to go. Are there specific yeah. 
roles that you're looking for? Like, or like, you know, is there a certain style that you always look for when you're looking to do an audition? Yeah, my world, you know, uh, is classical. So I thought I wanted to be an opera singer. So that kind of hinges in musical theater on the more golden age musical theater stuff, like Oklahoma as an example, Brigadoon, The Light in the Piazza. So those kind of like more operatic styles of singing really live in my voice so easily. But I like it all. But I think there are people that really can sing the pop rock, wicked, um, I'm trying to think, Dear Evan Hansen kind of stuff. And I leave that well, to uh, them. Yeah, I feel like I've, I've seen some of your like Instagram videos and you have just a beautiful opera style voice. Thank um, you. Yeah, it's funny. When I was growing up, I thought that for a hot take, hot minute there, I thought I wanted to be a an actress slash singer because who doesn't have that dream? You know, I was like, Hannah Montana was, you know, the idol at the moment. And so, but I like, I wanted to be Hannah Montana and my mom was like, which like, bless her, but she like, anytime she's like, no, I had a passion. She was like, okay, you know, I'm going to invest in this, which is like so beautiful. But I was like, okay, I want to get singing lessons. So then she sends me to like an opera singing coach and I'm like 10 and I'm like, I don't want to do this. This is so lame. I want to be Hannah Montana. But, and it was, I really did learn a very good fundamental skill set of like the technicals of singing, which now as an adult, I'm able to appreciate and be like, if I did pursue singing, that would have been a beautiful way to start. But as a kid, I was like, this is so boring. (laughs) I know. Both of my schools make the undergraduates who are pursuing musical theater or at my undergrad, we had contemporary music as a degree as well. But they made them study two years of classical voice before they could start working on the musical theater or the pop stuff because it is such a basis. But I know all of us are like, can I just be Celine Dion first? And it's like, no, she had to do her scales and her warm-ups to make sure everything's healthy and in line for that powerful sound. But right, I know. Right. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. I know. It really no. is. It is the best way to get the, the fundamental, the, the basics down. What did you want to be when you were growing up? What did you want to do for a living when you're growing up? And then now that you're whatever age you are, you're still not fully grown up. So what do you want to be when you grow up? I did want to be a performer. And so here we are. I'm doing it. I have, I wish I had it on hand. My mom mailed me this like report where I was like, I, I drew a picture of myself on stage and I would like, I would like to be famous and have a lot of fans and be, you know, who wouldn't, but I, I did always want to perform. And then when I grow up, I would really love, um, to, I would love for Miser and Music to be in university programs and be helping people in New York, but other cities as well. And I would love to be performing more. And the goal would be to be in a city, whether it's New York or somewhere else, where I would be so in demand that I'd be able to like, be like, let's do Gypsy or let's do Ragtime. And I would play the lead. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, I think I lived in Dallas for a little bit. I lived in Nashville. And those are the kind of theater communities that I think I aspire to. I do love New York. But where there's a niche and where the community really rallies behind performers and wants to see them in certain roles. So that would be a goal of mine in the future. I love that when you were younger that what you wanted to do is kind of what you're doing now. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. You made it happen. I did. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of other people who nurtured along the way. Yeah. Did you ever throughout when you're going to school, like, did you ever think maybe I would, because I do think there's a lot of like pressure to go into kind of like a corporate job. Um, Did you ever feel that pressure? Did you think maybe that you would do that? Or you were like, I have a beautiful gift and I want to be a performer. 
Well, yeah, no, I never had that impulse. Um, my parents being musicians, I think was really helpful, but I'm thinking of my husband. He all, he grew up with muggle parents. He has one musician parent, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> but he too had the calling to be an actor. And so I think if you have this performance bug, there's little I think I'm going through my, my Rolodex of friends and students. I think most of us kind of felt like that's the way I have to go. Um, in undergrad and throughout school as a performer, they tell you if you can do anything else, do it and get out of this as quickly as possible because it's incredibly difficult. So no, I never had that corporate pull. But as an adult, when I started learning about 401ks and health insurance, I sure did. I was like, what am I doing? Why did I pursue this career? But we figured it out. <laughs> No, it's, I mean, it's a tough one. I feel like you always hear about, it's like, you know, people move to New York to like make it big and they have, you know, so few are able to do it. Like, did you ever feel, I don't know, like uneasy or like uneasy with the sort of, I guess you could say instability of that. Like there's a certain stability of just saying like, doing a corporate job. There's also a certain boringness to it. But, you know, did you ever feel insta uh, less stable with, with this role? Yeah, yeah, definitely. My husband is now going to be a social worker, um, a therapist. And so thank God, because there was a period when we were falling in love that I cried and I was looking at doctoral programs because I was like, I don't know how it's going to work with two artists. So really it's going to work because he's going to have the real job. Um, and mine is so up and down. There are seasons to it. So I still feel that to this day and often felt, I remember I did a recital uh, about a year ago, two years ago, and I cried afterwards because it didn't go very well. And I had this whole existential crisis of like, why did my parents pursue, let me pursue this? And I'm a failure and like, yeah, there's so much instability. And sometimes I do long for just a nine to five, but usually the joys outweigh the, uh, the lure of stability. But it, and I feel lucky to have never have had a corporate job, so I don't know the taste of how that how paid days off could feel. <laughs> oh, that would feel so nice. But that's okay. I love not having to answer to anyone when I want to take a vacation or a personal day. So totally, it's a give and take. I think it's such a. I think a lot of society thinks that the better give and take is go the corporate route, and the sure. the, the give is give up your dreams, your passion. But I just don't think that that's necessarily the case for everyone. I think that's yeah. – I'm sort of trying to figure that out for myself right now too where I'm like my whole life I've done – my whole life. I've only been working for you know a few years. But that whole period I've been you know doing the corporate thing. My whole life I was taught that's sort of the route to take. Um, but I always laugh at my parents because I'm like neither of you ever worked in a corporate job. Like my mom was no a therapist. Way. Yeah, my mom was a therapist. My dad is a contractor, has always kind of – you know, done various, various jobs. And so neither of them really ever worked for the man. Um, yeah. And so it's kind of funny because they, they all, they just want me to be happy and successful, but you know, they strongly encourage me to stick in more of a corporate path. And I'm like, okay, but you don't know what the, the give and take of that route is and what I'm giving up, which is various happiness <laughs> degrees to, to do that. Um, but then the things that I do get, the benefits are I guess the literal benefits, <laughs> the 401ks, right. the stability and all of that. Um, but do you have any advice for people who are kind of in a similar position as you where they feel like they have a, a dream or a passion, but maybe it's a little financially risky or it's just generally 
um, more difficult to approach than just kind of sign me up from some corporate job. Do you have any advice on how to how to get off the ground with that? Well, a couple of things are coming to mind. And one goes back to what you were saying, which is that my therapist says money can't buy you happiness, but money can buy you freedom. And it, it provides a lot of, or sorry, she says options. I should not have said freedom. Money can buy you options. And so I do think there is a strong value in having either a supplemental income or, oh my gosh, can you imagine if you were able to have like a sometimes in the opera world, you'll have like a sponsor, you'll have, you'll find like an older couple that's willing to sponsor your career. And, um, like, oh. I know, I know like a sugar daddy, but exactly. <laughs> basically my advice is find a sugar daddy. No. Um, but I do think it's important to remember that money does buy you options. So personal training, and especially when I increased my prices, bought me a lot of options and afforded me the ability to lose money on Meisner and Music in the beginning, to not make money on it and break even for a long time. And to now finally, after four and a half years, make a profit where I'm like, okay, I think we're doing this. Um, so remembering that also with that being said, in both Meisner and Music and personal training, when I started out, I offered a lot of free stuff and very next to nothing prices. And I think that's important to not, I know a lot of people would argue with me, but I think starting small and just getting people on board, because like you said, that word of mouth for any business is so important. You do have to provide free value at any step of the way. I make these Instagram decks, I make these graphics and reels and videos still, even though Meisner Music is profitable, because we constantly have to be making sure that people who haven't bought yet are understanding what they would be buying into. And the more that you can be gifting of that value, the more people will be like, all right, I'm in. Yeah, that makes sense because it's kind of hard to sell a product that isn't totally off the ground yet and you haven't necessarily convinced people that you're like worth the money so it's it's good to entice them a little bit I guess it's like Sephora products like do you ever get those samples and then you're like oh my gosh I actually love this foundation yeah yeah usually I use it once and then it like sits in my cupboard because I realize I don't know how to do makeup but but yeah (laughs) yeah 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 anything like that I think a lot of times I've gotten free stuff like okay like purple carrot I do purple carrot meal kits and I got my first free box and I was kind of apathetic about it and then it was so good and now I can't live without purple carrot (laughs) that's how they get you that's how they get you the free trials We touched on this a little bit earlier. I think maybe I put some words into your mouth, but (laughs) what do you feel is your purpose? I think I feel really inclined to help people to find their voices and to trust their impulses. So often from childhood, we're taught that what I'm feeling isn't real or that what I am is not enough. So I feel really called to this work, particularly for performers, to help them remember that I am enough, the fullness that I bring to this. And even in this moment, the truth that I'm living is so enough and I don't have to push. I don't have to be anything I'm not. I think that's great. Uh, Another sort of theme that I like to explore on this podcast is the the concept of your inner child. And so, so much, I feel like when you're growing up, we encourage children to have fun and explore and try things and just do nothing but seek joy. But as adults, we kind of dim that a little bit. Um, And so in what ways do you feel most connected with your inner child? Ah, man, getting back to that, like, you know, Maria in Sound of Music, arms out, head back, feeling of singing feels really connected to my inner child. And another part of this work that I'm doing is the idea that 
you know, you've heard practice makes perfect. And there's another saying that practice makes permanent. And I disagree with both of those things. Um, I heard this recently from a student, practice makes more practice. And this idea that singing and really anything in life we have no control over any of it, even though we like to think we do. So we're just playing at any point, whether it's a performance or a final performance, whatever. I'm just playing and I'm just practicing. It's always a practice rather than a product. I think that's great. How do you define success? Doing what you love and feeling like you're being true to yourself and giving your best moment to moment. Okay, this this last one is very uh, deep and important question. Um, I know that you're a big fan of The Real Housewives. So, (laughs) which I am too, and we've always related about. So this is a very important question. Who is your favorite Real Housewife? Dorinda Medley, because she is a party animal. Um, She is a deep, beautiful soul. She is hilarious. Um, Oh, she has like such a a presence, a magnetic presence. I saw her in person once and I like screamed and I almost started going (laughs) up the escalator to get her. Yeah. And we need her back. I feel that way as well. I feel very strongly about that. I, I heard that Dorinda has an OnlyFans and in a not like sexual way, but just like in a, you know, I don't know, being able to get content way. And I was like, wow, I've never thought about actually subscribing to OnlyFans, but that would be kind of sick is like getting personal content from Dorinda Medley. So what is she doing on there? I think she's just chilling. She's just being Dorinda. You know, she's just making it nice. Like she's just. Yeah. What? <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna have to look more into it. I swear. I, I think I heard about that. No, that, like, that sounds familiar. Um, well, that is all of my sort of questions for you. But I always like to open the floor if there's anything that you feel like we didn't touch on that you wanted to talk about. Oh, just that we have monthly rolling classes if anyone's ever interested. And we have not only singers, but also instrumentalists. And we're doing some upcoming monthly workshops. If anyone is even remotely interested in this work, you do not have to be a singer. You do not even have to be a musician to get the impact of what we're doing. So head to Meisner in Music. It's M-E-I-S-N-E-R in music on Instagram or MeisnerMusic.com. We're going to start rolling out some monthly things where we can get involved with our community and you don't necessarily have to take class to be a part of it. Very cool. Do you want to plug your Insta handle? Let the fans know where to find you. You can find me on Jillian Page on Instagram and it is P-A-I-G-E and Jillian with a J. And yeah, so great talking with you. I'm glad we got to kind of catch up a little bit. Um, you honestly, like, I really loved working with you as a trainer and I love hearing more about your story. And I know that what you're doing with music has to be great since I know how great you were as a trainer. So if anyone wants to go take her class, I can't recommend it enough, even though I know nothing about singing. (laughs) No, listen, you're a repetition wizard at this point. And training with you was so fun, Lauren. I think I told you this, but I didn't usually travel down to your area because it was way too far for me. But I remember meeting you and telling my, um, I keep on. Okay. I don't want to be one of those girls. It's like my husband, but he's a huge part of my life. But telling my then boyfriend, now husband, like this girl is so amazing. Like, I don't care if it takes me an hour and a half to get to her. I have to keep doing it. And I miss you. And I'm so happy for all that you're doing. I think about you often. That is so sweet. That means a lot. Honestly, Um, Tribeca was quite a a haul from where you were coming from. So that I must have been incredibly engaging and dynamic. You are so special. It was such a joy to see you. Thank you. Thank you.